As we continue in these weeks after Easter, in the season of Eastertide, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians is one of the letters in the New Testament, and so once you get past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of the early church in Acts, then through Romans, and then you'll find your way into 1 Corinthians If you find 2 Corinthians or Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you've gone a little bit too far, um, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Today we find ourselves in the middle of the chapter. And this is, the whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, is dedicated to explaining the resurrection, reinforcing its value and its centrality to our faith, and to, to give detail and and to give some understanding of what it means for us both now and in the future, and that there is no Christian faith in a resurrected Christ without the resurrection, that the Apostle Paul is explaining that this is of the utmost importance, that Jesus Christ came into the world, that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again. And so here we find ourselves after, after last week, Um, in the beginning of the chapter with um, this essence of Paul saying, this is what I passed on to you of first importance, is the resurrection of Christ. And then we come to the resurrection of the dead. And, And to know a little bit of what's happening in the church in Corinth when Paul writes this letter is that there were those um, who just didn't believe that any kind of resurrection ever had or would happen. In the Gospels, we encounter the Sadducees. They were one such group that believed there is no resurrection, and that was never one of the promises that God made. Paul is saying, no, there is resurrection. We are witnesses to it. We are testifying to it. And in fact, there has to be a resurrection. And next week, um, Erin Coster, our intern, she will pick up on the resurrection body. But this week, we're just right in the middle. And I will just say that that these verses, uh, verses 12 through 34, are dense. Um, So it's not like a peanut butter sandwich kind of eating of this passage. It's more of like cutting into a thick steak. And steak is good, but it's more substance. And so it's it's a bit dense, um, but it's worth it. And this is also the Apostle Paul showing that, that he can do logic and apologetics with the best of them following this, um, this particular method of argument called Aristotelian logic, where there's premise A, premise B, premise C, qualifying, premise A prime, qualifying, premise B prime. So some of it seems repetitive. Some of it seems new. All of it, I think, is a bit dense, but it's all important, and it's a good kind of density. So as we come to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 34, as we focus on the resurrection of the dead and that true resurrection happened, I invite you to hear these words knowing that you could break them down into three main statements. Jesus died, and that matters. Jesus rose again and is in charge of all things. And lastly, so listen up and believe. Before we go to God's word together, let's pray. Holy Spirit, You are here with us. Your presence will not leave us or forsake us. And so we pray in this moment especially that that you be at work in the reading of the word. That whether we be looking at 
ink on paper or pixels on a screen, that your living word will be alive and active in our hearts, that you will speak to us through your word, that we may cling to the hope of the resurrection, that we may come to understand it better or wrestle with it on a deeper level, but that in all of this, as you stir within our hearts, that we will leave with the comfort and hope that you are victorious over the grave, that you have forgiven our sins and have promised us eternal life and salvation through your death and resurrection, which is of the utmost importance to us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. No, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought. And stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the human spirit, 
we have a craving for victory. We like to win. And we also know that we're not all-powerful. We can't win at everything. We crave heroes to look up to, to aspire to, 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 to be the symbol of victory that, that we might not be able to win on our own. And, and somewhere deep in our soul, we know how much we need that because we can't cheat death. As the Apostle Paul said, for as in Adam all die. We know that we are born, we live, and we die. That would be it if it weren't for the resurrection. But Jesus is more than a hero. Jesus is the risen Savior. But, but, but as we try to wrestle with what that means, with what that looks like, we, we maybe feel that tension in our spirits of how much we need heroes and, and perhaps how much we know that we just can't win everything, but we like to win, whether it be your sports team, your trivia team, whatever the case may be. And when we lose, it hurts. And when we lose, and we will lose throughout this life, it makes us crave victory even more, especially victories that seem elusive of us. Now, it's not a huge secret that I'm a reasonably big fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. These are based on the Marvel movies. And part of it's because they give us heroes to look up to, to aspire to. And we like seeing victories portrayed, that we're brought into it as if to participate with it. And eventually, you get a whole bunch of heroes together um, in something called the Avengers. And, and Dave Rock and Russ Klein are like, yes. It's been a while since we've had a Marvel analogy. And you start to see all of your heroes together, and it seems that they're unbeatable. And that actually would get boring, and the whole point of movies is to make money, um, and so we'd get bored with them, and we would lose interest. And so in one particular film, Avengers Infinity War, our heroes lose. They set out for victory, and they are met with death. And it all starts, as if, to, as if they want us to know that they're really serious about this, it all starts at the beginning of the film when one character that we've watched through many different movies, whose name is Loki, and he's full of power and mischief, gets killed right at the beginning of the movie, as if to say, this is not the one with a happy ending, this is not the one where everyone wins and goes home. This is going to rock you. And right before he is killed... The character who is the villain says to him, no resurrections this time. And then he kills him. No resurrections this time. Now, I'm not a superhero. I'm a pastor, and so I'm a, a theologian. And so my main critique of that line is the word resurrections. Because when Loki was killed and told no resurrections this time, the reality is Loki never had died. You don't have resurrection without death. That's the whole point of Easter. It's, it's not just waking up, though we use falling asleep as a euphemism for death because it's temporary, but there is no resurrection without death having happened first. And Loki is one who has tricked people into thinking he's dead. Um, he has 
tricked death itself. He has escaped death, but he's never actually died. He's never been resurrected before. In the church in Corinth, there's lots of talk about the resurrection. And some people are saying, nope, it's not possible. It's not promised. I just don't get it. I don't believe it. And even within the church, there's rumors passing around about what did or didn't happen with the resurrection. And that whole line about bad company corrupts good character is the Apostle Paul saying, you all need to come together and hold the resurrection as central. One rumor that circulated throughout the early church was that Jesus didn't, was not resurrected, that the disciples went and took his body and, and hid it to give the appearance of resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians 15 especially, after all the other things that the Apostle Paul has addressed to this church in Corinth, he comes back to the resurrection and says, no, this has to have happened. For one, there's no tricks about it, even though it's hard to understand. And for two, this is actual resurrection from death. This is, this is that. There's no analogy here. There's, there's no building up of a case out of something that didn't happen. It is either resurrection from death or it's not. And that's why it's passed on of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he rose again according to the Scriptures. This is victory over death. And the Apostle Paul needs, needs the church in Corinth, and similarly for all of us, to hold on to this central tenet of the, Christ, of the Christian faith. And there's a lot at stake for the Apostle Paul and the whole church with this. And we might take for granted today, because we have things like the Apostles' Creed, in which we can, in, great, in a great summary, offer up the main points of our faith, which includes, I believe in the resurrection. But they're still figuring this out in Corinth. And we, if we are seeking to grow in our faith, we're still figuring it out too. And growing in our understanding and appreciation of this that was the true and final victory coming from the true death of Christ and his full bodily resurrection. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? And if there's no resurrection, then not even Christ has been raised. And this is where you know that the Apostle Paul is incredibly serious is verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised from dead, if there's no resurrection, then everything that we've shared with you, everything that we've taught you, everything that we've explained and said matters, it doesn't matter if there's no resurrection. And your faith, then, that you have been led to believe, your faith is useless, and that's not what Paul believes. He's saying this matters so much that it's almost as if to say, I'm going to let you call the bluff. If there is no resurrection, then this is all worth nothing. But if there is, then we have everything right to be centered upon it. And more than that, verse 15, we are then found, Paul and those who preach Christ, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. 
This is as if to say, if there's no resurrection, then we are lying about God. Either Christ rose from the dead and we are preaching to you the truth, or we are lying about God and what God has done. You don't want to lie about God or about what God has done. This is the full, honest, authentic, all in or not in at all belief in the resurrection. And all of the space in between is is understanding what it means and what the implications for our lives are. But this is the all or nothing. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is useless. We've been lying about God. But Christ has been raised from the dead. And friends, one thing that we also hold dearly is that we don't believe or understand on our own strength that this is the Holy Spirit at work testifying in our hearts. And so when we come to faith in Christ, it is not our accomplishment, it is not our merit, it is the Holy Spirit at work within our hearts that led us to faith because faith is a gift from God so that no one can boast. From Ephesians 3. In verse 19, we hear, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, meaning if only for here and now, from the time we are born to the time we die, if only for that time span, if that's all the hope that we have, then we are of all people to be most pitied. Feel sorry for us if we got it wrong would be another way to say it. But Paul is trying to paint a picture that it's not just for this life. Our hope in Christ's resurrection exceeds beyond here, beyond the here and now, beyond the temporal, beyond the physical, but gives way to the eternal, gives way to the immaterial, gives way to that which cannot be killed, where moth and rust will not destroy. Our hope in Christ goes far beyond just this life. And if it doesn't, then feel sorry for us. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And once again, the church did not believe that dead people that they buried were just sleeping. They knew that they were dead. But they called it falling asleep, in part because Jesus once referred to that. Oh, not dead, only sleeping. And people laughed. And the early church talked about people who had died as if they were fallen asleep, which is a miracle, which is incredulous, which is hard to believe. But they used this term because they knew that it was temporary, that our death is as if we were falling asleep and we will wake up again when Christ returns and makes all things new and the final resurrection takes place. And so for all who have fallen asleep, they are in Christ And we don't believe that they're lost. We don't believe that they're gone. But that we're all waiting to wake up together on the day when Christ returns. As for us, verse 30, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Paul says, I face death every day. Just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord, I I face death every day. And if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus, which he's talking about some people there in Ephesus that they uh, um, had some pretty serious conflict with, even to the point of Paul's life being threatened again and again and again, 
If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? Then enjoy today. Be a hedonist. Follow your life's pleasures. But if your hope exceeds beyond this life, then also your sense of purpose exceeds beyond this life. As if to say, what we do here and now matters, and also what is yet to come is even greater. Why would Paul face death every day if he didn't believe that the resurrection was true and was worth testifying about, was worth saying that God did this and God will do this? It brings us back to verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people to be most pitied. Why would you give your life, why would you endure persecution if this wasn't true and worth it in the core of your being? All in. And many of Jesus' disciples, many of the apostles, many in the early church will lose their lives. Many in the church today, worldwide, still face threats upon their life. And yet they're willing to stay committed to this true resurrection, good news, and hope. As if to say for the Apostle Paul, I am willing to give my life for what I believe. Because in giving my life for Christ, I will find it. And everything that I do here is worth it because of Christ. It's Memorial Day weekend. We do think about those who gave their lives for something that they believed in. And as most of us will at some point have a cold beverage in our hand, we think of those who will put their hand on a cold headstone in remembrance. As you maybe see um, the juxtaposed pictures of your day at the beach, which nice picture of a beach, maybe like in Holland, brought by their day at the beach, pictures of D-Day. It makes us think back of um, those who sailed to Korea or were flown over the water in helicopters in Vietnam, those who were brought far from the shores in Afghanistan and Iraq. It makes me think back again to Howard Dahlman's memoir of being on the Pacific Theater on the coast in World War II. And people gave their lives in the hope for a victory that would outlive them. That even in giving your life for something that you believe in, that there's still value to be found. And then that the best that you can hope for others to do is to not take it for granted and to not forget. In the same way, the Apostle Paul is saying, I and others will give our lives for the testimony of Christ's resurrection. And we find that to be worth it. And you, church in Corinth, and you, church at North Holland, will do the best work of honoring sacrifice by not forgetting this hope of the resurrection, by not forgetting the testimony that we shared with you of first importance, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he rose again. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. God, we come to you 
this morning with an incredible testimony given the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We come to you with that mystery of how can that even happen? How can it be possible? We come to you praying for your Holy Spirit to be at work in our hearts to strengthen and sustain our faith. And we come to you even with the words of confession and assurance that we heard earlier today, knowing that we come to you in boldness and confidence even when we confess our sins because your steadfast loving kindness was made most real to us and most true and evident to us in the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to hold central this resurrection reality. May it be the ripple effect that shapes and informs our lives. May it not lead us to an escapist mentality that what happens here doesn't matter until we get to heaven, but may it also give us hope that what happens here matters and that even when we don't see the victories that we want, even when we don't get to be or see the heroes that we long for, that you, O Lord, have the final say, that death and dominion and power and authority are all under your foot as those are under your feet. Help us to come to the altar and worship you in spirit and in truth, in hope, in remembrance, and in a longing for the communion with you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.